Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and special guest host, Tony Shiroda here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's a hot freaking summer and we're trying to survive the best we can. Oh, you are so right. So right. Including wearing some colorful shirts, which at least makes us feel cooler. Is that right, Tony? That works for me. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> but Tony... Kidding aside, we have an excellent conversation teed up today talking with one of our favorite friends of the show as we continue our reverse logistics leadership series here at Supply Chain Now. Today's guest is doing big things, not only in industry, but he also gives a lot of his time and elbow grease uh, in doing good out there in industry. Am I right? Absolutely. Between a volunteer work for an advisory board for a global association that we have with reverse logistics... Um, Tom is committed in many, many other areas, and I'm lucky to know him as a very passionate person, uh, passionate about his family, passionate about his work, and passionate about the things he gets engaged with. Well said. Uh, well said. And he's a repeat guest. I had a chance to meet our guest uh, about two years ago at a big Reverse Logistics Association conference. So with no further ado, Tony, want to welcome in Tom Marr, Senior Vice President, Global Service Parts, with Dell Technologies. Tom, how you doing? Great, Scott, and thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Good to well, see you, Tony. Good to see you, Tom. It's great. Well, we're going to have to uh, uh, make a uh, uh, a big effort to do it in person next time. There, that's always more fun. But hey, if you if we can connect remotely and virtually, and at least catch up there and and get our, uh, some of your perspective for our global audience, hey, that that ain't bad, is it? That ain't bad. It helps. It, so, uh, Tom and Tony. Tom, what I want to do here is some folks may remember that episode, I bet, three, four hundred episodes ago. But for the handful of folks that may not know Tom Marr, I want to give them a chance to get to know you a little better uh, again. So let's start with the our, one of our universal opening questions. Where did you grow up? And give us a few anecdotes about your upbringing. Okay. Uh, mostly up and down the Northeast. Uh, when I was real young, those formative years, uh, learning about sports and things, I was in Florida. So people often ask me uh, about the teams I root for, which is somewhat odd. Okay. Because in Florida, we didn't have. Uh, we had the Miami Dolphins back then, right? It's not like it is today. So I'm a huge Dolphins fan, Cincinnati Reds, Boston Celtics, and all things Notre Dame back in the day. But today I'm a massive Longhorn fan. So, uh, Hook them horns for my daughters in law school. Okay. Uh, and of course, I went to Villanova University. So a huge fan of our basketball and all of our, all of our sports programs. But I've, I've lived across lots of the states in the U.S. Driver's licenses in nine different states, lived in well over 10 of them. A couple of years over in Europe and have spent a significant amount of time in Asia. But I've been for about 25 years now in Austin, Texas which is a absolutely wonderful city to, to live in, to raise a family, uh, everything you could want in a city Austin has. I could do without the 110 degree weather. <laughs> All right, so looking forward to the fall. Oh gosh, you shared so much there. I wanna, uh, I got about 17 follow-up questions I wanna ask, but Tony, out of all of those teams, uh, uh, he he mentioned nine driver driver's license in nine states. Yeah. Um, Austin, Texas, which is such a great city, even with the heat. Um, Tony, any of those teams? Let's, let's see here: the, the Reds, the Celtics, the Dolphins. Now the Longhorns. Any of those resonate with you, Tony? Not from the other side of the tracks. I'm Detroit, so you know I've got my Pistons, uh, the Red Wings, and. And we won't talk about football. It's just not a, a thing for us, though. Those of us from Detroit since I was born. So that's a long time ago, and we won't go there. But uh, I, I do get to include Michigan. I, I okay. went there, went uh, to Michigan, and came from there. So I do call myself a, a Wolverine. Okay. All right. Well, uh, next time, 
we'll we'll feed we'll we'll have the whole show focused on the other side of the tracks, as you put it, Tony, and we'll take a deep dive uh, into your uh, experiences there. But Tom, so your daughter is in, uh, if I heard you right, law school at uh, the University of Texas, right? That's right. Yeah, going into her second year. Wow. Okay. Does she have an idea of what aspect of of the the legal industry she wants to focus on? Yeah, I think she's still pretty open. She's in an internship this summer uh, where she's helping a company based out of uh, the Netherlands uh, support an organization that was attacked by ISIS. Mm. Right. And, and trying to help, um, you know, do the research and find opportunities for them to recover much of what they lost in, in parts of uh, Syria and, and, and Iraq. Uh, wow. So she, she kind of gears towards the nonprofit, uh, potentially something even in government, but she's not sure. Right. Right now, I think she's keeping a very open mind to see where it takes. Her. Well, uh, Tony. You and I both are big fans of of all of uh, how Tom's geared with giving back. It sounds like his daughter, uh, you know, that's in her DNA too, Tony. If I heard yeah, Tom right, I think so. And um, that that's a challenge with the nonprofit side, but it's so important. And it's it's clear what she's doing now is focused on trying to help rather than just trying to take. And that that's just two perspectives of of the legal side. And it sounds like she's on the right side of trying to. To give, that's great, Tom. Yep. Yeah, and that's a family of entrepreneurs. I should have said, Scott. My my wife has her own art company. My daughter started two companies. Uh, my twenty year old son has started two, and then I he's uh, just switched from University of Washington. He wanted to go full time online, which he was not able to do there. So he's now at Arizona State University, or will be in the in the fall, and he has his own YouTube channel. A Tale of Two Travelers, and enhancing to a second one that will come out shortly. Uh, and he's customizing a van into a camper van this summer, which is all part of his his YouTube adventures. And I got one uh, still uh, youngest in high school going into his senior year, and we'll see where where he goes from there. <laughs> Man, I love it. A, uh, a Tale of Two Travelers. We'll have to add that link to the show notes. Uh, I'm a big fan. I watch more YouTube than than normal TV, minus maybe sports. And it'll, um, it'll kill me because it's. I always do that. I say a tale of two travelers. Tale, tale yeah, of two travelers. If you Google it on YouTube, you'll you'll get it. Gotcha. Uh, either way, but it's all about camping and his his uh, trips out into the wilderness. Love it. So let's talk for a minute. Uh, going back to that that uh, pay it forward, do good, give forward. Um, element we were just talking all three of us about a moment ago. Um, one of the many things um, that you spend your time with and donate your volunteer leadership with is this is something called Pay It Forward 911. If I got that right, uh, I love the idea from what I, I, I saw on a, one of your recent social shares. But tell us, tell us about what what is this initiative? Uh, sure. So I'm thrilled and honored to be on the board for Pay It Forward 911. And you can learn all about it at paidforward911.org. But essentially, it it is probably the clearest mission statement of any nonprofit. It's really around spreading acts of kindness. And it generated from a gentleman, Kevin Turf, who was on a plane coming back from Paris when 911 occurred. And as many people may recall, obviously, we shut down the airspace. And a lot of the planes were diverted, and many of them to a little town in Canada called uh, Gander, made very famous from a hit Broadway show, Come From Away, which Kevin is a character in the show known as Kevin T. Uh, So Kevin, when he came back and he saw everything that the town of Gander had done for him and all the other passengers, you think 38 large planes landing in a town of 9,000. They took in almost 7,000 stranded passengers from 90 countries. And they didn't do it by putting them up in a hotel, right? They didn't have that. It was their homes. Wow. They picked them up in their cars. They used school uh, school buses. Uh, And you can watch the Broadway uh, uh, musical and and learn all this. But it was just an amazing act of kindness with asking for nothing in return. So when Kevin came back, 
Uh, and Kevin was my neighbor at the time uh, in Austin, Texas. He had his own company and he started an act of pay it forward. And his first thing was at his own company. He shut down on 9-11, gave everyone $100 and say, go do something mm. for somebody. Don't take credit for it. Just ask them to pay it forward. Mm. And that is the essence of what the, the nonprofit is all about. When we get into September, we focus on 11 days of kindness. And it's really around remembering uh, 911, never forgetting, but also not just the tragedy of 911, the response, the unity we had in communities, in cities and states, in the nation that we've lost, quite honestly. And, and it's trying to get everybody to remember that and doing those 11 days of kindness and unity by doing these acts. And we do things with uh, companies. Uh, you know, we, we encourage people to do team events. We work with uh, schools and just to get everybody involved and go out there and start to spread acts of kindness over those first 11 days of September. And it's amazing that the effect it has, right? One good deed could lead to hundreds of other good deeds. That is in essence what it's all about. Love it. Man, I love that so much. Uh, we're going to explore ways that we can help support the organization and, and uh, especially here in Metro Atlanta. Tony, I bet that's music in your ears for sure, right? It is, and I can't help but think about that movie that was based on the Pay It Forward concept with, I forgot the young actor's name from uh, uh, Sixth Sense or something. And uh, That was a sad ending. It was a sad ending, <laughs> but, but still, he really exemplified the concept and uh and scott as you know to us it's also about that in, in the rla and, and things that come back let's do something with them rather than not do something with them and i'm, I'm so proud not just of dell and of what tom's doing but there's other companies within us too and, and you might remember i think you interviewed rob request from cell phones for soldiers right and his phenomenal story starting young and, and helping soldiers pay for uh, phone time and so it, it's it's very important that we do other things. And and I also love Tom that it, it's not a, it's not a religious thing. So it's no fighting over religion here. It's just something that's human, and yeah. and it's a great concept. So I, I love the idea. I'm proud of you being on the board, Tom. That's great. Yeah, and you're right, Tony. It's not about things that divide us. It's about things that unite us. And everybody can be respectful and kind. Yeah. And it's small things. It's like if you're in Starbucks and you're in the line and you say, hey, here's five bucks I'm paying for the per Well, maybe five bucks doesn't cover it anymore, but <laughs> I'm paying for the car behind me. Or in the grocery store, you're seeing somebody put something back, right? Yeah. Because they didn't have enough money at the register and just yeah. taking care of that, yeah. right? And, and it's all about just asking when you have the opportunity, pay it forward. Mm. Except when my wife did that the first time at Starbucks, I'm like, what's wrong with you? What are you giving me? Get the business mind kicked in a little bit. <laughs> a little bit too fast. But then she explained it and she's a follower too. So that's great. Love it. Pay it forward, uh, 9-11. Y'all check that out. Um, okay. So, uh, Tom, I want to, and well, first, a quick programming note, just a clarification. Many folks know Tony Schroeder has been on, you know, a couple dozen episodes here. When we say RLA, we're talking about the Reverse Logistics Association, which Tony leads as executive director. Just want to connect those dots. We use a lot of acronyms, as uh, Tony and Tom, y'all both know, and we'll make sure our listeners are right there with us step step by step. Um, okay, so Tom. Yeah, can, I, can I just add to that and make everyone also aware that we are proud of being a global association, but more proud of, of our association with Supply Chain Now because you're the only voice out there that broadcasts as much as you do on supply chain and includes the dark side, the, the back, right? We, we, we get about it, but nobody is out there. And, and there's so many forward supply chain organizations and, and broadcasts. And Scott, thank you for supporting that people get a look at this other side with some of the industry thought leaders like Tom. So I just, I, I needed to throw that in. I appreciate that. You've made our team's day for sure. And, and you know, we have a heck of a lot of fun while we do it. Uh, you know, so fighting a good fight, trying to make the dark side not nearly as dark, but bringing light to the conversation. So, because as we all know, kidding aside, 
it's only going to become more critical, right? Uh, in the world we live in moving forward. So, um, Tom, tell us about, uh, you know, everyone knows Dale, as we were talking pre-show. I'm a big fan. I've got uh, lots of products staring back at me right now. Uh, but tell us about your role at Dell. Sure, Scott. So, and as you said, most people know uh, Dell pretty well, large global company, and we obviously sell lots of computer equipment of all you know sizes. My role is to keep that product, the hardware side of our company, up and running for our customers. Right, everything from uh, a Chromebook all the way up to high-end storage equipment, servers, et cetera. So my organization plans the service parts, right? In the event, highly unlikely, uh, that something were to go wrong, we want to make sure we have the right part in the right place at the right time to support our customers. So we have a large planning organization that does all the uh, algorithms, uh, machine learning based, trying to get the right answer on what parts need to be in what location. We are responsible for the procurement of those, those parts and then the distribution out to all of our Ford stocking locations, well over a thousand locations across the globe in support of all of our customers. Uh, we then get into the back end of, of our supply chain when in the event that we do ship a part out to one of our customers, we're also responsible for the defective. So we're moving a lot of product across borders on a very regular basis. And for us, sustainability is really critical. And so we've got a group that is getting those parts back and turning them into a reusable part again. So we're a very large repair uh, organization that I'm responsible for as well. And then, of course, in the event of disposing of any inventory to do that in the right way to make sure it is as sustainable as possible. So it's the full life cycle of a service part from the planning to the final dispositioning of that part. Wow. That would keep uh, a, a team, a global team, pretty busy, Tony, huh? Absolutely. And I think, Tom, if we put it in perspective, isn't um, Dell somewhere north of a $100 billion company? Yeah, uh, we, we've grown significantly uh, over the years. And we do a little over 75 million parts movements a year just in my organization. So, and and that, right, Tom, that's... That's where I was going. It's it's so big that even if it's a small problem as a percentage, it still turns into big, big numbers for you. Yeah, and it's important, right? It's important to keep our customers up and running. And, you know, they're, they're not buying the product because they enjoy typing on a a laptop or uh, staring at uh, uh, the display. It's the content. It's what they're putting out there for content or they're consuming as content that matters. And if the product's not working, right, then they're, they're not thriving. And, and our job is to keep that product up and running so all of our customers can grow and thrive. And we continue to be on the leading edge of driving human progress, mm -hmm. right? Because it all, it all starts uh, with technology. That's right. Okay, so uh, we're gonna dive into some really meaty topics here in this next, this this main segment we're about to in, enter. A uh, quick shout out though, Tom. Uh, I had the great uh, uh, privilege of interviewing Jason McIver on your team uh, probably three or four months ago. And uh, man, he is a dynamo. So clearly y'all have a lot of top talent there at Dell helping to make uh, what y'all do much easier and and better for your, your customers. Um, okay, so... We've all learned, goodness knows, over the last couple of years, the strengths and weaknesses of global supply chains, right? It's been a, it goes without saying, it's been such a uniquely challenging time. Um, Tom, one of those lessons learned, once again, I would argue, is the need to really build resilient and robust, not just forward logistics networks, but reverse logistics net, uh, networks. So, Tom, speak a little bit to that, if you would. Uh, sure. And you're right, Scott. If, if, uh, people haven't been paying attention the last three or so years. Uh, and then they, they've uh, missed hearing the term supply chain more than probably the entire history of mankind prior. Uh, good and bad, right? Now, when you go to a, an event and you say you work in supply chain, uh, people start to look at you like, wait a minute, you're the reason I don't have this or this or that. <laughs> right. I just think of the challenges or disruptions we've had over the last few years, weather, pandemic, uh, cyber attacks, geopolitical issues. 
right? It has been nonstop. And it is more important than ever to have a resilient supply chain and really critical for us in reverse logistics. Because every one of those things, we used to, you know, you have your BCRPs, your disaster recovery or business continuity plans in place, and you hope to never need them. Now the mantra is you will need it. You will exercise that uh, business continuity plan almost every quarter. Something's going to happen in some corner of the world, be it monsoons in India uh, or a cyber attack with a partner or potentially uh, a pandemic, maybe monkeypox is next and it, it causes issues. They're the most recent, the shutdowns in Shanghai, uh, highly impactful in the high-tech industry. So in all those cases, it, it is more important than ever to be resilient. What we've learned over the last few years is there are many parts of the supply chain network that you've, we've had to just make more and more resilient than ever before. The way I, I describe this to my own team is we've always had resiliency as an important part of, of what we call our scorecards, right? When either hiring a new partner, how resilient are they or how we're performing internally. It is now the top of the scorecard. Mm. You, it, it is no longer, hey, if something were to happen, I will move some volume from A to B. If something will happen, it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen this quarter. All right. It's just over and over again. So what we've done is we've really expanded our repair capabilities. A lot of the disruptions we've seen in high tech are with you, you can't get the integrated circuits, right? So there's been all this challenges the pandemic brought and then demand spikes and where certain industries thought there'd be a slowdown and it right. was a reverse. And it's just caused a, a significant continuity of supply issue. So we increased our regional and global repair significantly. We've also worked with every aspect of our supply chain to ensure our systems are segmented. Mm. And what I mean by that, right, if you have a partner uh, they're going to have a system for HR, system for email. So, you know, they're, they're running a whole business. Their accounts payable, their right. warehousing. You cannot have all of those on a single network where it can get penetrated and, and have, uh, you know, a bad actor engage because those are happening, as we know in supply chain now, every day, right? You've got these bad actors attacking people's uh, systems. Right. Uh, so you got to segment them, right? So if one goes down, the others are protected. Robotics and automation is a lesson we learned. Pandemic, it affected humans, right? Uh, the ability to get people to come to work, the difficulties of the situations when they were at work, right? We had to spread people out, wearing the masks, cleaning the facilities over and over again. Well, the robotics was not a big thing in reverse logistics to the extent it is today, right? You're, you're not talking, as you said, Scott, the massive volumes and poor logistics. So it comes a little bit slower. I'm, one of the things I am most impressed with over the last three years in our reverse logistics, the amount of automation and robotics that has been implemented. And it allows us to, to do a few things. One, when you can't get people in, right, you can keep things running. And now you can get caught up when you have these Whenever you have these continuity supply issues, it's followed with a spike, mm. right? Shanghai lockdown, eventually it, it reopened and here it comes. Right. And when you can have that automation robotics and getting you seven by 24 working, absolutely helps. And we do that to augment uh, the human driven operations. We want people solving the complex problems and we want uh, machines, robots, technology solving the repeatable problems. Yep. So we're going to touch on uh, we're going to, we're going to touch on AI machine learning really as it applies to the world that you're painting as well. I want to bring Tony in really quick. Tom's covered a lot of ground yes. on this first topic of of creating those resilient, robust um, all logistics networks, but especially reverse logistics networks. Tony, what's one or one thing he said here that really resonated with you? Um, the, the aspect of what Tom's work is the real goal is to keep it out there. Really, the focus is keep it out there. And, and I appreciate that, which we all need to focus on. Keep it out there. Whatever you can do, keep it out there. Because movement of goods is not good. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, it, it's time lost. It's money lost and so on. 
And, and so reverse logistics, we always make it sound like it's only about the flow of the goods. It's also about making the goods right in the first place, making them easily diagnosable. Is that the word or triage them? We'll so go you with can it. answer it so quickly that it doesn't require taking something back requires yeah. sending something forward and keep it out there. So I'm so proud of Dell and other members of the RLA whose focus isn't just about, can the flow be faster? Can we make it more efficient? Can we you know, use robots? That's all meaningless. Make the experience right. Make yep. it work easy. And, and Tom referred to that east, uh, earlier about thriving. Let that person thrive and, and enjoy what they've got and fix what they've got and, and remotely triaging uh, Wiring in, wiring out, wirelessly in. It's all beautiful that, that Dell and other companies focus on that so much. So that's what resonates is it isn't just what Tom said about movement of goods. It's about their focus on trying to make it stay out there and make that experience right for that person. That's right. Uh, if we can do whatever we can do to decrease the likelihood of uh, of returns while still making our, cu- our customers happy, over the moon happy. You know, that, that's that's a big part of the name of the game. Well, um, Scott, that makes Dell happy. It makes Tom happy. But there are some of my members who kind of take a back to that and say, wait a minute, you don't want us to get as many returns? That's our work. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm not an anti-capitalist. I would right. just like, there will always be returns. Let's see if we can make a few less of them. Right. Well, well said. Well said. There's so much more to that story too, um, but Tom, uh, you started uh, before we um, we got Tony to chime in there. Um, you started to go down the path of, of all the technology that you are leveraging within the planning and repair operations and and uh, ways that enhance those capabilities and probably the capacity as well. In particular, AI and machine learning. So tell us more about how Dell is leveraging and how you see other maybe or, organizations leveraging those types of technologies. It's a great segue into what Tony was saying as well, because if, if my boss was here and you asked him, what is my job? He wouldn't say all these reverse logistics things, the operational execution, right? Those are table stakes. We have to do it. My job is to make our products better and make our interactions with customers seamless. Mm. And a big part of that is leveraging machine learning. So in our repair operations, Scott, we have a tremendous amount of data. I like to tell people that we have the truth. When I get a defective part back, I have it in my hand. I can diagnose that part and see what was really wrong. And with machine learning, we can tie all that into the symptoms, the triage that was done via the phone or online, however the uh, channel it went through. And we take all of that information and it feeds back into two very important groups within Dell. First and foremost, back to the product engineers. They get all of this data so they can build better products in the future, right? Our our job, as Tony said, is our happiest customers are the ones who have no idea I even exist, Mm. right? Those would be the the happiest. And, And we want that to be the case. The other piece is we get all that information into our service engineers who help design the diagnostics. So when a customer is talking to us, we can get it uh, fixed over the phone, hopefully. If it does require hardware, we get the right part uh, the first time, right? We get that customer back up and running as quickly as possible. All of that behind the scenes in our repair center is driven off machine learning. Even to the point when if a notebook were to be shipped into one of our repair operations, we leverage machine learning to pre-diagnose that product so when it hits the dock, the parts are automatically allocated and over to whichever uh, repair engineer that that unit is being assigned to, and they replace it and go straight to test. Uh, and then, you know, ideally, right, it passes test. We nailed it just with all the machine learning. We also use it a lot in our planning world, everything from uh, geez, I'm, I'm not the expert here, but the stochastic uh, integer programming, lots of Gaussian techniques, uh, we, we random forests. So we're, we're using supervised, unsupervised, and reinforcement uh, machine learning methodologies in order to do the, turn our planning into more accurate, but more proactive than ever before. 
right? We want to be able to predict where and when those incidents could occur and reduce, again, that downtime for our customers mm. uh, to the extent that that is possible. And it is just a whole new world of capability now. Everything from uh, just not just our ability to plan and repair the products, but into helping make the next launch or the next laptop or the next desktop to be the best one we've ever had. Mm. And all of that comes from really leveraging that data. The journey never ends. The journey, there's no finish line. Uh, I love that, Tom. All right, so Tony, I want to get you to react to, to that last snippet that Tom shared before we get into a topic I'm really looking forward to, that right to repair. But Tony, before we get there, any reaction to what Tom was just sharing about leveraging technologies to really enhance the team's uh, capabilities and the customer's experience? And, and Tom, I think it goes back maybe before your role. There was the Ease of Use Roundtable, an industry association of high-tech companies, including Dell, HP, Microsoft, Intel funded it, who all said, we want people to have that good experience. And too many things that are coming back, and Tom knows this from old days, too many things were coming back. We couldn't find the defect. We couldn't find the technical failure. But now with all this machine learning and AI, we are learning not only what the failures will be or are or can be and, and learn it and send it upstream, as you said to product managers, Tom, but less products are coming back that have no fault found. And that's a big thing because, Scott, we've talked about it for years about the amount of returned goods that have no technical failure. There's nothing wrong with that. And what a shame and a waste it is that we're moving all these things uh, across the country, across the world. There's nothing wrong with them. So Tom and Dell have made it so that fewer of those things come back where there's no problem. The ones that come back truly have something that has to be dealt with. And that's what resonates importantly for all of us. And, and, and this is where we get into the whole circular economy concept that you feedback upstream to the product planners. And, and it, you know, even at Phillips, it was as simple as tell them to stop issuing instruction books in 12 languages that nobody could read. That was a product change. It right. was. And, and it made a difference. People could understand a quick start guide. So it's really about feeding that upstream so you can reduce the amount of goods coming back because you reduce the amount of no fault found. It, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win. It is really quick. Uh, again, a little, little editorial comment here. Many of our folks that know you, Tony, and have listened to our shows know when you reference Phillips here, you're you're talking about some of your days in the industry where you worked at Phillips for quite some time, right? Right, right. Twenty five years at Phillips, uh, happy go lucky sales guy, and one day they said, "Go stop the returns. We're getting too many." <laughs> and what? and that's the experience that keeps on giving. And that that helped formed the basis for the next generation of RLA and, and all the great work that's being done there, including with uh, great leaders like Tom here and their organizations. Um, okay, right to repair. That phrase uh, means a lot of different things, stirs a lot of different uh, emotions across the globe. Um, so Tom, we'll start with you here. We're talking about right to repair, a really hot topic for a number of years now. Um, the impact you're seeing right to repair legislation that's having uh, that impact in the Europe and in Europe and the states. What are some of your thoughts there? Uh, so, so you're right, Scott. Right to repair is probably more visibility than it's ever had, right? And it's coming, right? There's there's no stopping it, right? We're proponents of it, right? We've always wanted to enable our customers to have a good repair experience. If that's with the Dell engineer themselves, a third party of their choice, we just want it to be safe, right? So when we're talking to organizations who are drafting the legislation, uh, we talk about safety first. Uh, second, we want consistency. Those are the two big things, right? Right now, what we are seeing, uh, even across countries in the European Union, everybody having their own slight take on it, everything from a statutory warranty length to the total uh, years of uh, full or even non-warranted support, SLAs, things of that nature. And some things are getting consistent on the importance of having the documentation easily accessible and having parts available. Uh, but we've always been big fans of sustainability. In essence, what they're driving towards 
is to give the customers the ability to perform a repair and to keep a product uh, longer, right? So increasing the product life cycles, right? If we've got viable product out there that can meet the needs of a customer, we want to keep them up and running so that they can uh, get the benefits of that technology to whatever extent that they, they require. We just want to have California, New York, Texas, we don't want everybody having their own legislation, mm-hmm. building out separate um, uh, details within how you support right to repair. That, that's our only focus at the moment, right? We're, we're very supportive of enabling all the key tenants. And again, just wanted to be safe and consistent. Yep. Sounds like and it's big, coming. Yes. <laughs> it's coming fast and furious. That's right. And, and your last point there sounds like uh, you are big advocates for a universal policy so that we can really optimize our approach to, to, to um, um, working within uh, the policy that is passed, legislation that's passed, uh, you know, whether it's here or in Europe or elsewhere. Uh, sounds smart to me. Tony, weigh in on right to repair, some things that Tom talked about. Uh, what's your take? I'm glad that Tom said it's coming. And, and it is confusing because we do need a global approach to this. It, that, frankly, we need global, not just national or European, but we need a global approach. And, and companies like Dell, by the way, and, and Tom's very passionate about this. We do want to make it easy for consumers to get things fixed. But that's not the same as the auto industry, which has the right to repair today, right? You can take your Ford Mustang to any gas station with a service shop and get the alternator replaced or whatever parts you want. Wait, wait a second, Tony. Wait a second. What do they do to the Mustang? Where is that? Where is the Mustang? It, 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 it looks so different. Come on. It's so cool. Come on. It's so cool looking. But the point being, you could take it to any station across the United States and have a chance of getting it fixed. Generally, to Tom's point, safely. Although it's not perfect world in the auto industry either, but the flexibility is there for all of these shops to help you fix it if they're qualified to do it. Now, there's the danger for the consumer when a right to repair passes for tech products that you could do something and screw it up worse. Mm. And, and that's a risk. But the consumers are going to have to learn about that risk. In the meantime, right to repair supported by companies like Dell is the best way we can go forward. And by the way, we might be able to slow down the 50 million metric tons of e-waste every year, okay? And I know Dell doesn't want any part of that, none of us do, but it's happening because of many reasons. And we hope that a right to repair would allow some of that stuff to stay in the field and be used somehow by somebody rather than thrown away. Too many computers are being thrown away. Yep. And smart devices and everything else. Uh, Right. um, So I want want to, um, Tom, pose this next question to you along these same lines of repair, uh, this this right to repair topic and and repair topic in general. How viable, Tom, is repair in light of product changes and parts planning for repairs? Any thoughts there? I think we're probably uh, better situated today than ever before. Right. A a big part of that just to shift the, having to do repair of necessity due to the continuity of supply issues uh, that we're experiencing, almost every industry is experiencing sure. over the past three years. So I think very viable to perform the repairs. Right? Our asset recovery business where customers are going to what Tony was talking about, want to refresh their technology, but they don't want to go through um, a, a scrapping process. We, we've got that capability at a very large global scale. Uh, I think we are in excellent position to be able to, certainly to comply, because of course we will comply, uh, but to make it a seamless and uh, simple process for our customers in the event that they do need a a repair situation that falls under the right to repair, call it umbrella. Yep. So Tony, I want to get you to weigh in on this. And in particular... Uh, in our pre-show conversations, you mentioned this uh, seven-year rule for repair parts. Speak to us about that, Tony. Uh, uh, There's legislation out there in D.C. that was created to make a consumer be able to get his product fixed or something within a seven-year period of date of purchase. Hmm. And and that's been changed um, from the manufacturer's side 
You don't have to have parts for seven years. That would be a nightmare. I think Tom said 75 million parts. Imagine if you had to hold parts for seven years. But the, the world has changed, and now you can offer parts for repair or replacement with a comparable product. So that's um, permittable under the legislation that's out there. And now take that part and say, all right, so a Dell computer, my laptop fails me, um, and it's time for an upgrade. Thank the stars for this concept called the cloud. Now the Dell technicians and others can put everything on your computer up in the cloud somewhere and then get you the new computer and take everything out of the cloud, put it back in. Mm. That is an ultimate simplified repair process, uh, replacement process, really. But it's also a repair, right? So your eight-year-old computer died, nine-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever it is. Dell doesn't have the parts, but they can give you something comparable. Maybe there's a discount for having it and they can't find the parts. But regardless, there are good solutions now. That seven-year rule was designed by the government uh, think tanks that are non-existent, right? Um, legislation, legislators don't know how to think about technology. They're not. And, and so solutions have to come from companies like Dell and others that are in this industry, and they've done it. I mean, the cloud is an ultimate repair tool that people don't think about it that way, but it is an ultimate repair replacement tool done by Dell and others. No, it's good to have our head in the clouds <laughs> these days. My, <laughs> my third grade English teacher wouldn't like that. Uh, but hey, uh, all right. So one final question about this repair. And we're about to, uh, after we wrap here, we're going to move into getting some of Tom and Tony's advice for talent, talent in global business. But one final question here uh, for you, Tom. Uh, can we build out the repair network to levels needed? Or what other options are possible, you think? Oh, it can absolutely be built out. And, and there are countries right now proposing 10 years, right, uh, wow. to have the, the spare parts available. Uh, the, the volume, it's, again, you have to think about the, the balance here, right? Technology changes, and it changes rapidly, right? And we want that, right? We want to continue to push uh, the envelopes of what, what pro our products can do. And how long do you want to hold on to a unit versus, wow, look at what, if I get a new one, I can accomplish so much more. So it's hard to tell how much volume is going to move into if a country has a seven-year requirement or a 10-year or a five-year. It, it is difficult to predict, and, and we've got teams focused on that. But the ability to, whatever that country decides, and our uh, understanding of whatever regulations are put in place, repair is going to be critical, right? We're, by no means do I want to go out and do a last time buyer and a life planning for 10 years on a you know, consumer PC. I wouldn't want to do that. The right answer is to ensure the repair capabilities are in place so we can keep that product up and running uh, without having, because as Tony mentioned earlier, uh, if you manufacture a component, that, that component will one day Hopefully not soon, but one day will need to be disposed of. Everything yep. ever built will be disposed of. Uh, so we don't want to go uh, have more and more components produced for re reverse logistics. We want to lean heavily into the repair space, but I think it's very viable. Yep. I don't know. Uh, as a kid, I think I had some sixth generation hand-me-down clothes uh, that were a lot of fun to wear in school. Those things are indestructible, I tell you. Um, but for the sake for the sake of time, I appreciate both of y'all's thoughts around this fascinating uh, landscape we find ourselves in. Uh, touched on the right to repair and uh, optimizing, kind of like that that next generation approach to um, uh, making sure customers are taken care of with. Uh, repair options and making sure organizations are ready to deliver on that. Um, so let's Scott, talk. Do you, do yeah, you want to just add to that? Just just one note about when I reference the repair network, I'm also talking about physical bodies out in the country. We need to encourage more young people to get into this industry of repair. It can't just be dad raising his kid to train him to take over the appliance electronics repair business because there's not enough of those anymore. So it's not, and, and by the way, even though it's Dell and it's high tech, it doesn't mean that a repair has to be, a repair person has to be super high tech. 
the, the cloud and everything else that Dell and companies like them do, it, it, it makes it better, easier, faster to get things, to get repairs done. And so we need to encourage more people to go in that way. And, and, and I get to throw in a little plug about the Reverse Logistics Association being proud of members uh, like Encompass and other companies that focus on training their, the people that are out there to do these repairs. So, uh, and Dell, of course, does it as well, but we're looking for more people to do repairs. And, and that's, a, that's gonna be a problem as we talk about talent Where's the unemployment rate? It's sure. so low. How do we get more people encouraged to go into the repair business because they can make a good living at it, but there's not enough people. So we'll talk to that next, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. That's a great segue into this this uh, this talent segment. We want to talk with you and Tom about. Um, and you know, um, humans still make global supply chains happen, and the human factor. I love going back to what Tom said on the front end. You know, let, let's build rewarding, fulfilling jobs where they're tackling the, the you know, they're creatively tackling the big problems and, and you know, use the left side and the right side of their brains. And we automate all the, mon- the mundane stuff that folks don't want to do. But the, 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 the human factor and the workforce factor and the talent factor, these are big question marks that we're already seeing in other aspects of global supply chain. So on that note, this you know, the talent question is such a big one and, and I'm intrigued with what both of you are going to share here. So talking about a healthy leadership talent pipeline coming into industry and, and as well as once they're there, as y'all both know, the the challenge doesn't stop. We got to engage them in developing that talent once it's here in industry. So Tom, one of my favorite questions, uh, usually I, I paint a picture like this. You're up in uh, New York City, let's say, you're at the Waldorf, Astoria, I'm not sure if that's still around or not. It's a big, momentous convention hall. 3,000 people are there. They're on the edge of their seat. In this case, they're organizational leaders. You've got their captive attention. What would your advice be when it comes to recruiting and developing leaders, Tom? Uh, first thing I do is say, I'm staying in a Marriott courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it is, it's a critical aspect of uh, our business today is it, not not just recruiting the talent, but retaining it, right? It is a battle out there to win the talent war. So to me, for it starts with the universities. I'll start there before talking about um, the industries. But you've got to be very uh, tight with the universities that are driving supply chain. When I was in school, supply chain was not something you majored in, right? It did not exist. Now, it's at every major university and across the globe. But you've got to do more than just recruit from the universities. You have to be actively involved. Uh, sharing just a few, uh, University of Limerick, we, we Dell, uh, my team locally, helped develop their supply chain undergrad and graduate program. Uh, Arizona State University, I sit on the board of Supply Chain Executive Consortium at Arizona State. Uh, we sponsor the Women in Supply Chain Annual Conference, which is going on its fourth year uh, coming up in, in the fall. Uh, we have launched last year, we're about to have our second ever uh, interuniversity case competition that is with HBCUs and HSIs. Right? And you get the, you know, my point being, you've got to be very involved, right? Working with the faculty and research projects. I couldn't even tell you how many projects we have with universities across the globe. Because you you really get the benefit of obviously uh, the projects themselves and solving problems, but really interacting with the students, interacting with the faculty. Uh, I sit on the advisory board for Carisca, which is the Center for Applied Research and Innovation in Supply Chain Africa. Hmm. It's a joint project with Canist University in Ghana and Arizona State. And all of that, you have to, if you're doing those things, you're starting to develop your pipeline of talent. And I think that is really critical. And the level of talent is through the roof, right? We're just at the very end of our uh, summer internship program in the U.S. And every year, you're amazed at the progress. And the students coming in with data analytics skills and supply chain knowledge uh, that we've never uh, seen before. Also, if you're 
in their working with these great universities, you have a say in the curriculum, right? So we're helping, as I said, with University of Limerick, where we've done that at Arizona State and others as well. We'll meet once a year and say, what was missing in the students from the last year? And we get a say in what, where the gaps are. So we're building better talent. So that gets the first ones in the door, right? The new, the new grads or the graduate students. And you know, I tell you, 25 years ago, I, I was not recruiting PhDs. I've got probably five or six PhDs on my team today. Really? Right. And there, there are a lot of them into the data science world, doing a lot of the machine learning, right? The programming, et cetera, but also network optimization. We just finished a project on um, uh, network optimization associated with geospatial technology. Uh, the thing is, you know, making life so much easier for a planner than ever before. Things that I remember over 20 years ago, I won't say which what university we worked with, to build out a network optimization tool that took almost two years to build. Wow. It is now that same exact uh, technology that we use today was an intern, their summer project. Man. Built the whole thing. It is incredible. And, and I think one of the overarching things and points I hear you making there as you're giving, as you're challenging organizational leaders to that are serious about talent is you got to invest the time, the relationship capital, and, and and not just in your backyard, but globally. And and yeah, also, and go ahead. I would say, Scott, and it, it's more than just, you got to show them the value of supply chain, which mm. is higher than ever before, and the culture, mm. right? The beauty of supply chain is it's constantly solving problems and they're big, complex problems. And they get excited about that. But you can't live with just university recruiting, right? You have to have industry. I say RLA, the Reverse Logistics Association, is a great example of how you network, you go to events, you meet people, all right? And, and there's reputation is a huge piece of this, right? And, you know, good uh, leaders will attract talent, right? So, you, you know, there, there's jobs and people want to go out there and try new jobs on occasion, but they're going to follow leaders as well. And what I think we do very well is when we do get talent into the organization, we give them experiences, yep. as many as possible, because that's how they develop and learn. You don't, I mean, you get information through going to training classes and academics, but when you actually do a job, you learn. Yep. Right? My whole team rolls their eyes when I say this, but you, Michael Phelps can teach you how to swim. He can be your coach, but until you get in the pool, you are not going to learn how to swim. <laughs> I love right? it. Okay. Preparation is great, but give them the experience oh. and let, let them fly. Amen. Okay. Tony, Thomas shared a lot of good stuff there. What's just a, uh, just when it a comes very to short add-on to that, Scott. Please. Just very short add-on. Um, I, I freaked out when somebody took me out of sales and marketing and said, go fix returns. I think every corporation, every organization look at should look at the newbies that come in, the younger ones, and move them around. They may not like it. And if they don't, you put them back where maybe they're good at it and let them stay there. But um, until you start moving them around, you don't discover the unseen talents that somebody might have. You move them out of sales into service, out of service into finance, out of finance into operations. You just don't know until you give them that opportunity, that chance. And I would say every organizational leader should look at that. And I would tell every recent graduate the same thing. Try not to be stuck in one hole. When we talk about silos and all of these big corporations, that's why they exist, because nobody travels from silo to silo enough. Not that they never, but they don't travel enough. Right. And those that do are the leaders we need for the future. I, I think that comes right out of what... Tom has done a deal. I, I love think, it. Uh, if I could add, Scott, I think the supply chain is so important to understand end to end. You don't have to change your discipline, right? I, I tell engineers, if you want to be an engineer the rest of your life, that's fine. Right? If you want to go get an MBA and be a business leader, that's okay too. Uh, but in supply chain, you can do so many different roles within the discipline of supply chain and everyone adds value because you understand another piece of a very complex network. Yep. Uh, it just makes you stronger in the end. Yes. Well said. 
so that's a, that last piece, Tom, uh, I think it's a great segue into a different part of the talent question. That's uh, speaking in that same nice room, but this time, instead of the organization leader sitting in those chairs, uh, all the, the if we're 3,000 people, that'd be 6,000 eyes looking back at you. And all those are recent graduates that want to break in the industry and progress into the upper echelons of senior levels of leadership like you and Tony. So, Tom, what would be your advice to those folks? Uh, and I get this question a lot, right? Especially just uh, going through our summer intern program. They all ask that question. What is it going to take to be successful, right? How do I grow and develop? And especially with new hires as well. And I always tell the same thing. First and foremost, do your job really, really, really well. Yep. Right? Don't get caught up in that looking at everything else and the grass is always greener. Do your job really well. You're in a world-class organization. It will be noticed. Right? But if you don't do your job well, then nothing else matters. Right? <laughs> uh, leverage your strengths. Right? You get so many people that want to focus on everybody's weakness. Now, I, I'm not going to take uh, Aaron Judge, a home run hitter, and say, you know what, Aaron, you're really not that good a pitcher. I think, you know, I think we need to focus on pitching. No. <laughs> take more batting practice, right? <laughs> so we want to put them in positions to be successful, but leverage your strengths. But I would say the two most important things, be accountable. I, I told people early on my first week at Dallas, Scott, I might have even shared this with you the first time we, we spoke. My first week at Dell, I came home after having what I thought was a pretty decent career thus far. Uh, and I went to my wife and I said, I may never be the smartest person in the room ever again. Wow. I had better do my job incredibly well. And I better be the person people can point to and say, if you give it to him, he's going to own it. Because I can't do what some of the talent is so phenomenal. It's just the thing I think that excites most people at Dell is the people you work with. So I chose to be, uh, I'm a supply chain career person. It's what I do. Uh, so being accountable, owning it, don't let people waste time trying to point blame. Just mm. take it and say, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in and said, you know what? I'm pretty sure that Tom Marr guy screwed it all up. It's his fault. All right. What are we going to do now? Right. And let's just move forward. Yep. Right. And the last thing I would say, I'm a big fan of what I call peer leadership. Collaborate, help each other. Don't be the silent person on the wall. If you see something uh, that's not working, go tell your peer, let them know. Yeah. And that's how you develop. People recognize leadership. It's something that it's because you've acted, you've done something. Go be a leader and you will be recognized as a leader. And you can lead as an individual contributor. You can lead a project. You can lead uh, a conference call. You can lead just solving a problem, right? Don't be afraid to go out there and take those risks, have those experiences. And anytime you're in a good organization, it will be noticed. And you will develop simply by doing new and different things. Well said. Lots of good, great, practical uh, advice there. Tony, that's going to be tough to top. That's going to be tough to top. Uh, Michael, uh, Tom set a high bar. Uh, so, I don't think so, I, Tom, you got me I, thinking I, baseball now with that Aaron Judge <laughs> and now, uh, analogy. But Tony, what would you what would you share? Same piece of, you know, in terms of advice to recent graduates. Well, I think I mentioned it a bit earlier. Get into an organization where you can move across into different places and ask for it. Now, everything that Tom said is the baseline. Do your job well, be accountable, and then ask to do something more. Mm -hmm. That's, you have to be, a, otherwise you can, you can be a happy engineer for the rest of your life, that's fine. I could be a happy sales guy the rest of my life, be fine. But don't be afraid to ask to do something more. It, it's good for you, even if you don't succeed at it. I mean, we tell people all the time, but we're afraid to keep saying, don't be afraid to fail. I mean, right. We say that, you know, we point to uh, um, the, the Steve Jobs stories and all of the others, but clearly How often do we mean it? Right. We clearly, we have a culture that doesn't look well on failure, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I want to add to something else that, that Tom said, and that was in relation to, uh, I, I love the story about the first week. 
and coming home and recognizing I'll never be the smartest person in the room again. <laughs> and, and it means so much to have a reverse logistics association that almost disappeared. And Tom Marr and Chuck Johnson were the two people who I went to and said, should I do this? Should I take this over? And they said, first, the industry needs it. And second, try to get good people involved. And I am one of the best advisory boards on the planet. 12 companies committed to this. 12 individuals who are all way smarter than I am. And, 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 and even though I don't talk to them all the time, their voices are in my head. I hear Tom once like this. And that voice stays in there and reminds me that talk to the smartest people, try to make them look good and yourself look good in front of them. And that's the drive to run this association. And again, you come back to those graduates, nobody tells you to get a career in reverse logistics. It's just, right? There's right. no degrees for it to speak of except one American public university. Um, nobody tells you to go for a degree, but you know, at the end of the day, it can be very important and very fulfilling because you clearly have to deal with every silo in a company. Yep. And, and as Tom does, and he knows that as well. So um, I just would add that for any graduates, focus on ask for more. Yeah. And, uh, and that's important. Ask for more. That's quite a one-two punch from Tom and Tony here. I, I would uh, just add two thoughts. Uh, kind of along the lines of what you just shared, Tony, blessed are the volunteers. Hey, do your job, as Tom said, but man, raise that hand and have those new experiences. You never know where that's going to lead. Um, and folks, take notice. Um, and then secondly, um, uh, you know, Tony, you just said so there, there's something that really resonates with me because I think all of us still remember and have that little voice between our ears uh, from our parents or from a key mentor, or whatever it is. And I can still hear some of these, some of the pieces of advice or things to do or not to do as clear as a bell in my, in my brain. And I would, so I would just add talking to leaders. You never know when something you share is going to be that voice that sticks with them for, you know, throughout their career. And, and, you know, that is so important. So, Hey, don't be afraid of leaning into mentoring and, and leaning into uh, developing those, those key relationships that both Tom and Tony have been speaking to, because you never know how it's going to help or who's going to help and just how much. Um, okay. Tom and Tony, what a, uh, a full conversation, all kinds of uh, what we call snackables uh, that we'll have to put out there as we, we share both of your moments of brilliance. Um, as we come down to um, uh, the final stretch here, Tony, I want to make sure folks know, uh, you know, well, I think we got to make sure folks know. RLA is a, is a global organization. Y'all got a big event uh, each year in Vegas. And I think y'all just coming off on the heels of your big European event, I think in Amsterdam, right? Um, is that right? Yes, we just uh, finished a, a sold out event in Amsterdam, the Rye Auditorium, and had uh, 120 attendees, but more important, some amazing industry leaders, thought leaders, including Connor Shields from Dell over in Limerick, the Tom was nice. referring to as one of our leaders, and Cisco and HP and other companies. Uh, again, industry thought leaders were there. Attendees showed up for it. We're, we're very happy with the events and can't wait to go back till next year. Hey, uh, let's go together next time. Okay. <laughs> let's uh, let's put our stuff in a big container, uh, send it across on the, across the pond. But hey, sounds like a great event. What's um, for any of our listeners that want to you know kick the tires, check out the RLA community, global community at that. What's what's the next event would be a good one for them to check out? Well, Scott, I make it almost too easy, and we'll keep repeating this. You go to www.rla.org. You join the community at no cost. It's free. You don't have access to everything that members do, but you do have access to some of our industry research and an upcoming webinar. We do once a month webinars with industry leaders and Tom's been part of it in the past, talking about all the relevant topics. The next one is how to solve the puzzle of apparel returns. Okay. So that's a free webinar. And as soon as you sign up in the system, you're there, you start getting emails that tells you about it. And that's the easy part. We do actually, Scott, now have provisions for individual memberships. They can pay monthly 
And that gives them access to more benefits, the committee meetings, where you get to listen again closely to industry leaders, talk about what they've done, as well as an opportunity to come to our conference. It will be in Las Vegas, February 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Mirage Hotel again, while it's still the Mirage Hotel. And um, I'm not sure we're going to drag you there this year, Scott. We've had you there three times. You've got the Transformers and all the others on the strip. So um, I'm not sure that uh, we'll get you back. The board tends to be there. Oh, it's such a great time at the Mighty Mirage uh, and, of course, Vegas. And Vegas, you, you marry Vegas and reverse logistics and supply chain. It's just such a great time. Um, RLA.org. Jot that down, folks, and check it out. Uh, and, and for folks that want to connect with you, Tony, LinkedIn or at RLA.org. Is that the easiest way? That's the easiest way. Tony at RLA.org. Great. And and if you see Tony's last name, I'll never forget how he told me to pronounce it. It's like my Sharoda. Uh, my Sharona, but it's my Sharoda, Tony Sharoda. That's how you remember it. So uh, you'll want to add Tony and Tom to your network. And Tom, now that we've got a, a good uh, uh, instructions on how to connect Warley and, and Tony, how can folks you know connect with you and learn a lot more about Dell? Yeah, LinkedIn, uh, the, a great way to do so. And email for us is tom.mar at dell.com. Nice and simple. And for companies that want to connect through RLA is a great process, right? Many, many of our connections come through the RLA organization. So reaching out to Tony is also a, a great way to make that contact. Outstanding. Well, really, Tom, as busy as, as both of y'all are, really, I appreciate y'all carving uh, out an hour of your time and sharing uh, some topics here that we don't, Tony, we don't, we, we talk about it but we don't talk about enough. Industry certainly doesn't talk about it enough. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, Tom, great to reconnect. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet you in person uh, at the early event in Vegas uh, about two years ago or, or so, two and a half years ago, maybe. Uh, but thanks so much for taking time out. Tom Marr, Senior Vice President, Global Service Parts with Dell Technologies. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me, Scott. You bet. Uh, we'll do it again soon. And of course, my dear friend, Tony Sheroda, uh, regular guest here at Supply Chain Now. He serves as executive director with the organization on the move, the Reverse Logistics Association. Check them out at rla.org. Always a pleasure, Tony. Absolutely. And I look forward to doing this again on a regular basis, Scott. I appreciate that you uh, share and expose this side of the uh, logistics supply chain world. Well, I'll tell you, we have a lot of fun doing, but it's an honor to do it. And more folks, you know, if we can plant more plant more seeds with folks across the globe and get, you know, pour more light on this aspect of global supply chain and global business will all be better off. To our listeners, man, Tony and Tom brought it quite the one-two punch here today. Hopefully you've enjoyed the conversation, but hey, it's all about deeds, not words. Hey, act on something they shared here today. Uh, you and your organization and your professional career will be better off by doing it. Uh, with that said, big thanks to the production team, Justin, the whole gang. Uh, this is Scott Luton signing off for now. But hey, challenging you or all of our listeners across the globe, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. <laughs>